John 13, 34, Jesus is in the upper room. He's just washed the disciples' feet. He's put his outer robe back on. He sits down and he's talking with them. And this is what part of what he says. A new command I give you. It's not an option. It, it's not a suggestion. A new command I give you. This is a have to, brothers and sisters. This is not optional. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In all the ways throughout my ministry that I have loved you, so love one another. The way that I have washed your feet sacrificially with the attitude of a servant, so you should love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by our theology, not by our placards and billboards, not by our political stands, not by all the other ways that we tend to gauge. The world will know. They won't have to guess. You won't, have, you won't even need to tell them. The world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then over to 1 Corinthians 13, the end of the great love chapter. Verse 13, it's real short. You may just want to listen. Faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I was waiting. I was hoping I'd get a response. Faith and hope become the foundation on which love can be based. We know this if we've been listening over the last couple of weeks. If we didn't know it before, we should know it now. But it takes more than knowing, doesn't it? It takes the doing of love. And this is not a new problem. If we go back to the first century, Paul says the following things about the relationship between love and knowledge. And so if you'll turn to Philippians 1, beginning in verse 9. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 9. Paul has just said that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 6. It is right for me to feel this way towards all of you because I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight not in warm fuzzies, that your love will abound in knowledge and depth of insight so that you be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight so that we can discern what is best. I'd call that smart love. 
Are you guys okay with that? Smart love, I like that. Not just love, because there's all kinds of dumb love. No, God wants us to have smart love. Paul is praying that the Philippians will have smart love. And God desires the church in Warrington to have smart love. But what happens when it is just smart or knowledge without being infused by love first? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul's talking to the Corinthians who are claiming all kinds of special knowledge. And here he says, now about food sacrificed to idols, that's the specific. But what's the broader principle that we can apply to that particular specific? And we have a number of specifics for our congregation. Every congregation has their specifics. But Paul says there's an overarching principle that applies in all those situations. Knowledge implying knowledge by itself. Knowledge puffs up. And the word that's used there is a medical term for like pussy swollen, infected, icky, not good. Josh, you should appreciate that. Yes. But love builds up. Love like a well-constructed building under construction. It goes up according to a plan, and it's healthy growth, and it's solid growth, and it's real. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The person who thinks they know something, oh yeah, but I, I got this figured out. The person who thinks they know something does not yet know as they ought to know. But the person who loves God is known by God. So have smart love, but don't choose between knowledge and love because knowledge not influenced by love really is pretty ugly. But as important as love is, there is a kind of love that is not necessarily ugly, but fairly useless. Now, we know that Paul is on board with James and John because of passages we've already looked at in Paul's letters. But John and James capture in such concise, clear vocabulary that we go to them next. We could stay with Paul, but I think it's good to see that it's a broad-based understanding about the way love and knowledge should interact with each other. And not just love and knowledge, but love and something else. James chapter 2, verse 14. James has already talked about love up in verse 8. But here in these passages, he's setting up a different parallel or a different compare and contrast. He's talking about faith and works. But the principle applies to love and works as well. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that kind of faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to him or her, go, I wish you well. I really do. I wish you well. I wish you the best. Keep warm. It's December and you don't have any heat and you don't have any firewood, but keep warm and well-fed and you got an empty refrigerator, but keep warm and well-fed. But that brother or sister does nothing. If you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. And knowledge about caring love without action is also dead. And so I want you to imagine the surgeon with me here. And he comes in and everybody backs out of his way because that's what you do when the surgeon arrives, right, Josh? And they put on the gloves and they make a big show of it because they're putting on the gloves. All right, so now they're ready. Imagine the surgeon though, when he walks up to the operating table saying, of course I know how to do this surgery. I'm a surgeon, aren't I? And then they walk over to the gurney or the operating table and they say, good sir, I really hope you get better. I wish you well, sir. But they do nothing to take their intellect and their understanding and their training and apply it to the, the needs of this person on the operating table. How helpful is that? But you don't understand if I get involved in the surgery, it's messy in there. All those ooh, internal organs and all, they're icky. And, and like, uh, Doc Martin, I'm really not comfortable around blood. I know the theory of surgery and I mean well, and I have good intentions. I know people are sick and hurt and they need help and all. Would you refer people to that surgeon? Nancy's looking for surgical recommendations right now. If she goes in to talk to the surgeon and she says, so are you gonna get involved in the surgery? And he goes, oh no, no, no. I just talk about surgery. I just think about surgery. I pray for people that they have good surgeries. Oh, and you'll get a bill for $40,000. I hope you don't mind. Would you refer a doctor like that? Now I just took, um, first aid training. Now there's a particular way I'm supposed to do this, isn't there, Josh? Where you peel it like this and then you take this one inside out and you do that. Okay, and we're not supposed to toss them on the ground. So. Yeah. All right. Verse 15, keep in mind the surgeon that I just described, that's you. No, you don't have to be that surgeon. You can be somebody else. But let's read the scripture again in light of that illustration. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of us says to that person, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, 
but you do nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Ouch. Dead faith. Useless faith. So we turn now to 1 John chapter 3, the other, uh, John 3, 16. This is the one in the letter, not in the gospel. They're both incredibly powerful scriptures. One tells us that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus into the world, that whoever believes or trusts in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting, eternal life. And then 1 John 3, 16, same author, he says, now as a result of what God did in showing his love for you, here's what you should do as a response. Verse 16, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. See, he's referring back to it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but, and good intentions but let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Amen? Amen? Do we have a pulse, doctor? Amen! Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Let us not love with platitudes and good intentions. Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. This leads to our next scripture, which we find in Galatians 6 beginning in verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Translation of God is not mocked. You don't mess around with God. Don't be deceived. You don't mess around with God. A person reaps what he sows. The person who sows to please their flesh. A person who sows to please their earthly physical nature. From that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So sowing wild oats when you're young, what are you going to get? later on when you get your harvest. Bad crop, right? Words to <laughs> the wise. What you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So if you want to reap bad things, sow bad things. If you want to reap good things, you got to sow good things. Um, I remember a scene from Secondhand Lions where they think they're getting beans and all kinds of stuff and it's all corn seeds. And so these two older spinster uncles are going, corn, corn, corn. They reaped what they sowed. They just didn't know what they were sowing. 
well, let's be smart and know what we're uh, sowing so that we know what we're going to reap. Drop down to verse 9. I'm just unpacking the passage. Let us not become weary in doing good. I mean, this just flows right from the reaping and sowing stuff. So what should you be sowing if you want to reap a good harvest? Let us not become weary in doing good. That's what we should be sowing. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Now, he's already talked about love previously in chapter 5. Let us show our love by doing good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As you have opportunity. That's the kicker. That's the hard part, right? So another hypothetical for you. What if money is really tight this month and three things come in the mail asking for cash support? So I just looked on my desk and I said, so what, what would, this is just a sample from many things that, that were on my desk. Kids Wish Network. Yes, Tam, I received my exclusive Kids Wish desktop calculator and the $2.50 check. I want to help make a dream come true for a seriously ill child. Now, who doesn't want to make a dream come true for a seriously ill child? Come on, people, have a heart. Enclosed is my $2.50 check to add to my donation to the Warrington Area Kids Wish fundraiser. Uh, St. Joseph's Indian School, $15 to help provide healthy meals. Who doesn't want to provide healthy meals? We just saw that if somebody needs food, we're supposed to give them food. $15 to help provide healthy meals. $20 to help provide clothing. $25 to help provide outside activities. $30 to help provide safe housing. $90 to help provide books and supplies. I want to know what the supplies are. $180 to help provide all these gifts. What am I supposed to do? 2020 Annual Fund. Mr. Kolodny, your help is needed today so that people with intellectual disabilities in Virginia and elsewhere have the chance to experience the joy of sports training in competition. Our athletes need your support more than ever. Thank you. And then, last but not least, Warrington Pregnancy Center. If you're against abortion, what are you doing about it? And these are just four that have recently come across my desk. So money's tight this month. And I get these announcements and all of them touched my heart or they would have gone into the circular file. So do I feed my family or do I feed somebody else's family? Do I provide hope for a kid with disabilities so that he can train in Special Olympics? Or do I provide an opportunity for a special kid to have his, need, his wish come true? Do I feed my family or someone else's family? Do you see the false dichotomy that I set up there? 
And feeding your family is a metaphor here, all right? So everybody just understand that I'm using this as a category, not as a specific. We tend to want to set things up as either or. But maybe that's not the way we should be thinking about these things. What if we substituted a both and approach? a problem-solving approach to how to deal with all this stuff. I may not be able to fully do both, feed my family and feed another family right now, but could I, number one, ask others, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to help me feed somebody else's family? Number two, could I live sacrificially with my family so that we could at least help feed somebody else's family. Number three, could we set aside funds so that if we can't help this month, maybe we can help feed them next month. Number four, there are so many other number fours. We just started the creative solutions process. There are so many other things that we could do, aren't there? once we break free from either or thinking. Take a moment right now to think through some other op options you could do to respond when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart. We always tend to think of material needs, don't we? Because that's usually the presenting problem. But soon we learn that below the surface lurks loneliness, rejection, insecurity, feelings of worthlessness, isolation. And these can gnaw a lot worse than physical hunger, but they also produce shame, so they tend not to get expressed. I bet you those Lakota Indians struggle with a lot more than just needing outside activities. I bet you those kids that want to make a wish have other issues, spiritual and emotional, that are there as well. Jesus fed people, the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. But he also addressed emotional and spiritual hunger, as in his conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. And you may be saying, yeah, Bob, okay, fine. I'm lonely and emotion emotionally hungry too. What about my needs? What about your needs? What about your needs? At least two responses from hard-hearted Bob. Number one, what are you doing to get your very real needs met today? Are you asking for help? Or are you waiting for someone to notice that you need help? Of course, you've put on this exterior to protect yourself from looking needy, because nobody wants to look needy, and yet nobody's asking you what's up. And when they ask you, how are you doing? You say, fine. Eddie came into my office this morning and the uh, fire alarm was going off when I got here and just lots of craziness. So I looked at Eddie and I went, he says, oh, it's a typical morning. I go, yeah, pretty much. Gave him, gave him an honest answer. Yeah, I'm a little jangled this morning. We can't read minds. Are you asking for help? Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 7. Have you all turned there already? Everybody ready? 
Okay, here we go. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. You'd almost think we sang a song about this or something. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Promise from Jesus. Promise from Jesus. Well, that seems pretty clear. But Jesus isn't done yet. Verse 9, which of you, parents, if your son asked for bread or your daughter, would give them a stone? I'm sure... Um, Rob and Amy do that to Tally and Garrett all the time. Mom, can I have a cookie? Here, have a stone. Can I have a snack? Here, have a stone, right? I can just see that happening all the time. Tally shaking her head violently, no, that, that isn't what happens. Well, I'm glad, Tally. Or if their son or daughter asked for a fish, would give them a snake. Now that might be fun. But it's not what you asked for. If you then, parents, being evil, and we're all evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, underline in your own personal Bibles, highlight in your uh, virtual Bibles, how much more, we saw that in last week's scripture, how much more, Jesus does this all the time. He sets up a situation. Last week we saw from Matthew 6. Your heavenly father feeds the birds. Look how he clothes the grass of the field. How much more is your heavenly father going to take care of you? This week we turn to uh, chapter 7. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So if you're not getting, maybe you're not asking. And I would encourage you to ask. And it's okay to ask your brothers and sisters for help. That's why we're here. And when I'm hurting, guess what? I'm going to be asking help from you guys. That's how we're supposed to roll. But look where Jesus goes next. We drop down verse 12. I'm just working my way through the passage. So in everything, in light of seek, ask, and knock, in light of that, in light of the fact that your father gives good gifts to those who ask him, so therefore in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus makes things real simple here. You want comfort? Comfort somebody. You want somebody to listen to you, guess what? Listen to somebody else first. You want friendship? Be a friend. Do friendshipy things. That is a word, I just made it up. You call, you invite, and you don't keep score. You may have to do a lot of calling and inviting, but you'll have friends. They may not show initiative like you do, but you will have friends. In the process of helping others, often God meets our needs. You want happiness? Help others. Say it with me. You want happiness? Help 
others. One more time, I can't hear you. You want happiness, help others. Those of you who are at home, I want to hear it. You want happiness, help others. We often need to lose ourselves in order to be found. So what do you do? You help with a blood drive or you help out at the woodlot before nine o'clock when things are so hot, you really don't need to be out there. You start joking with the other people in the woodlot or at the blood drive. They ask about you, they pay attention to you. And when you got there, you may have been cranky, but when you're done, you feel tired, but you feel good for having been there. What's up with that? Am I the only one that that happens to? I always wake up cranky. That's, that, that's, my, that's my normal wake up mode. But if I serve someone, it's amazing how my mood improves. Verse nine, let us not become weary. This is from Galatians six. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest, a good harvest, the kind of harvest we want if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You won't have to look far for opportunities. Call your children's school. I bet you they need some help. Call the free clinic. I know they need help. Call the church office and talk to Nancy because she's the switchboard that requests get funneled through. Call your neighbor or talk over the fence. Works really well in our neighborhood. It's amazing how people are walking each other's dogs. This one lady down on the corner had hip surgery. This other lady that normally walks with us takes care of that dog and walks it two or three times a day. Somebody goes out of town, this other lady's watering somebody else's yard and cu cutting their grass. You just prop up on the fence and talk to your neighbor and you'll find all kinds of opportunities to serve, to show love. You don't know what to do? Ah, I just can't think, think of anything. Call the new moms. I can guarantee that they'll have many things. Right, Ginger? There are many things that you could show your love by helping her or Kelly Paselli with, or the grieving elderly like Marianne Jennings or Janie Jones. You want an opportunity to serve? So that through serving, you find happiness? Tune in to Celebrate Recovery on Zoom on Thursday night. And all of those are things that I'm suggesting, but God has a better list for you. Where in your world do you need, where in your world do they need your love right now? Where do you need to help others to discover happiness? Where can you put theory or abstract love into practice, 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 because practice makes perfect? or practice produces maturity as you uniquely you have opportunity do good to all people within your sphere of influence in your world i'm fairly 
sure as I say this that you can't fix unrest in Oregon. Oregon's kind of a mess. When I was there at the airport in Portland, it says, keep it weird, Portland, and things have only gotten weirder. I doubt you can fix the fires in California right now. I, I sincerely doubt that you can fix the famine caused by locusts in East Africa right now. But you can write a check, if that is what God lays on your heart to do. And you can prayerfully look around and ask God, where do you want me to make a difference today? Where do you want me, God, to make a difference today? Where does your world need your love? Which is a limited quantity until you start exercising it, and then your capacity grows, and it's amazing how more efficient you get in being a steward of God's love pouring through you you're the pipe, the conduit through which God's love flows. And you get blessed and you are nourished by the process. So where does your world need your love today, tomorrow, and the next day? Next week, we're going to look at that phrase in Galatians 6 verse 10. He says, do good to all people, and I skimmed over it today on purpose, especially those of the family of believers. Older translations, especially those of the household of faith. What's up with that? And so that's a preview of coming attractions. I have one last thing to share, and I hope I can do it justice. This is a song, lyrics to a song. I'm not going to sing it. You don't want to hear me sing it. Um, it's a song that Dolly Parton, Parton sung, Linda Ronstead sung, and one of my folk singers from Ireland, Orla Fallon, she sings it as well. You'll never be the sun turning in the sky, and you won't be the moon above us on a moonlit, moonlit night, and you won't be the stars in heaven, although they burn so bright, but even on the darkest ocean, you will be the light. You may not always shine as you go barefoot over stone. You might be so long together, or you might walk alone. And you won't find that love comes easy, but that love is always right. So even when the dark clouds gather, you will be the light. Brothers and sisters, let's be the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the time to be with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their love for you, their hunger to do the right thing, the way that they're already active in showing your love to the world. But Father, like Paul admonishes the church in Thessalonica, do so more and more. Father, because as we give, our capacity to love grows and our happiness quotient grows. It's through serving others that we find fulfillment and joy. And so, Father, help us to learn that lesson and to reject the motto of the world that he who dies with the most toys wins. Father, help us not to be attracted to things that don't satisfy, but to pursue those things that are eternal treasures like we talked about last week. 
So Father, help us to love actively. In the name of Jesus, amen.